This story, like many others, begins at a restaurant. Once upon a time, there was a pastor. This pastor was not me, but he did have an adorable daughter. And he took this daughter to McDonald's. So dad, daughter, they walk into McDonald's, they go up to the counter um, and order their stuff. And the little girl orders a Happy Meal, because what else are you gonna order at McDonald's, right? So she gets her chicken nuggets. And this is not a commercial for McDonald's, they're not sponsoring the sermon in any way, but um, this is just the way the story happened. So they go up to the counter, dad orders his meal and gets the burger, the fries, you know, the whole deal. And then when it comes time to pay, the daughter does not reach into her wallet and pull out the debit card, right, to pay for the meal. Dad is the one who provides this whole meal for the family, and that's just an important detail for later. So then they go, they sit down, and they eat the meal together. You know, wonderful time, little girls talking about unicorns, fun stuff, things that are important to six-year-old girls, and Dad does what I would do when I go to McDonald's. He scarfs down the hamburger, right? Scarfs down the fries, and he's still a little hungry. But you don't want to go order a whole other like thing of fries, right? That would be excessive and unhealthy. So what Dad does, and the little girl, she's a six-year-old, so she ate a lot of it, right? But not all of it. So Dad reaches over and grabs one of the French fries. And the little girl slaps his hand and says, no, that's mine. And dad's like, who do you think got you these fries? What do, you, what do you mean that's yours? Who do you think got you these fries? And, and this pastor who told this story, he uses that as a silly little story, right? Because oftentimes silly little stories are mirrors that we can hold up to our hearts. And I got some. Sometimes you're just so good at telling stories about McDonald's that the microphone doesn't work anymore. Um, but so sometimes these silly little stories can be mirrors that we hold up to our hearts that can teach us something. Because this pastor, he talked about the fact that this story um, really gave him some perspective on like how does he treat God, right? Because how much has like God given him in his life and in his world, like? How much has God provided for this guy? But then, when it comes time to give back, or when it comes time to be generous, he's like, no, that's, that's mine. I don't want to share. And, and it's this moment. Now imagine, and he tells it, imagine what his heart would have done had the little girl said, well, Dad, you know, you get me so many good French fries. I know that you are a good dad who provides good things for me. And I'm just so grateful. So you go ahead, you have those fries, you get what you need. Now, if you're a dad in that situation, you're starting to like tear up. You're like, I'm gonna go get you an ice cream right now. Like, because of the heart attitude. But you know, with the slap in the hand and the saying, no, that's mine. Well, I think that's a story that invites us to maybe examine our own hearts and look at what happens there. And I think Jesus told stories that invite us to examine our hearts and see what's going on there. So let's go ahead, pray together as we open our hearts to God's word. Father God, we love you and we trust you. God, we are grateful for the many ways in which you showed up for us today. The many things um, that maybe they were small, 
Uh, maybe we took them for granted, like warm coffee or cars that started or legs that worked to get us here. And God, we just are grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that we would be grateful people. God, open our hearts to what your word would have to share with us today. And so we open ourselves to receive, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are in a series called Grateful, where we are talking about gratitude and thankfulness. And we know that gratitude and thankfulness is not just a November thing, right? We want to cultivate a sense of gratefulness, thankfulness, gratitude throughout our whole lives. Here's what I know about me. When I am being the type of person that I want to be in the world, when I am doing the types of things that I want to be doing, when I'm caring for others, when I'm characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, all those things, oftentimes my heart is in a grateful place. I am not in a place where I'm necessarily afraid or scrambling for more or afraid that I'm not going to have what I need or that people aren't going to come through for me. But then if I look at the flip side, and those moments, and I'm sure you guys are just so shocked at this, but did you know that sometimes Andrew is super crabby? <laughs> Everyone looks at Joe, why is that? No, but it's real, right? It's true. Sometimes I am really grumpy. I snap at people. I have anger that just rises up. And when I think about those moments, when I am not being the person that I want to be, when I'm selfish and crabby and cranky, a lot of times those moments, I'm characterized by ingratitude for what I have. I'm like, oh, come on, this stupid car, battery died, right? You do that, right? And those moments where I'm afraid that I'm not going to have what I need, that I don't already have what I need. When I am being characterized by ingratitude, I am manifesting, I think, things I don't want to have in my life. And so gratitude just is this really powerful, helpful thing. Last week, I showed you a word list. And I would just say, I think these characterize ingratitude versus gratitude. So on one side, with ingratitude, Right? When we are ungrateful, our lives are characterized by pain and discouragement, frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment, the constant lust for more. And our culture, I think, drives many of these behaviors. The way, can, can we agree there's too much of that in the world? And then on the other side, when our lives are characterized by gratitude, I think that's when we have a sense of thankfulness and humility and a positive self-confidence a trust, faith, joy, peace. And I might ask us, which one of these lists do you want your life to look like? Yeah, no, nobody in first service was like, I can't wait to have that ingratitude list. Like nobody, nobody said that. But I might ask us and say, okay, which one of these looks like Jesus? Which one of these do we look like right now? Oh, maybe that's a challenge in the middle of this. So last week I talked about how a sense of gratitude in our soul manifests itself as worship. And that it really had to do with what I'd call the vertical relationship, how we relate to God, the way that we see how God has showed up in our life. Today, I want to talk about what I would call the horizontal relationships, those ones with other people. So go ahead, turn to your right, turn to your left. You saw people. There you go. That people, right? Humans. 
And how many times would you think, you know, I'm trying to be gratitude. I just would be so good at being a generous person if there weren't any people around me. I'd just be so good at being a good person if I didn't have anyone else to do it with. And it's so interesting. It's in these human relationships that the struggle pops up. So here's what I think. And the, the way the Bible would put things forth at the fundamental human problem, right? Page three of the Bible in the book of Genesis is the story of human brokenness. And Adam and Eve live in a garden. God has generously provided everything for them. And he said one thing, right? One tree, one french fry. Don't grab from the tree of that fruit. And what do they do? Like they take it. That's, we, we all know this. This is what humans do. And what's interesting, so there's a broken relationship in the spiritual world with humanity and God. And then on page four of the Bible, there are these two guys named Cain and Abel. And how does that story go, right? Cain and Abel have this competition going on. And I don't even know if Abel knows that there's a competition, right? Because Cain, he brings an offering, Abel brings an offering, they all bring it to God. And for some reason, which the text doesn't expound on much, God accepts Abel's offering and he rejects Cain's. And this makes Cain all bent out of shape. And instead of that as an invitation for maybe Cain to go, okay, God, how do you want me to approach this situation? What Cain does is he gets bitter and resentful. And then on page four of the Bible, sin manifests itself in murder. And he straight up murders his brother because resentment came into bitterness, corrupted that relationship. Well, you fast forward in the Bible, and then we meet this guy named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, and he is afraid that there is not enough resources, not enough power to go around. Instead of trusting God to bless, Pharaoh institutes a policy where he's going to, they're going to, as the Egyptian society, kill all of the Hebrew baby boys. And that's terrible. Like, that's disturbing, right? But it's this, it's this perspective change. Earlier in the book of Genesis, like God showed up and blessed Egypt and the Hebrews at the same time. God can do that. But this, this king, like he leans into that scarcity, fear mentality. Later in the Bible, you've got a guy named Saul. And Saul starts out as a good king. God raised him up to be the king of Israel. And Saul turns his back on God. So God turns his back on Saul. And God raises up. David to be the new king. And Saul, instead of being like, wow, David, I'm so glad that, you know, God has blessed you. Let me mentor you and show you what it looks like for a king to not have a hard heart and follow God. Saul's like, I'm going to throw a spear at you instead. And that's what he does. Like he starts this assassination campaign for David because he's afraid of losing his power. No, these are really extreme circumstances, right? And I'm so glad that for you and me who lead normal lives where we drive cars to work and we go through the 21st century world, that we don't have relationships that get destroyed by bitterness or ingratitude or problems like that, right? We don't have any of that. No, it's there. And I'm sure we could all like sit down and very therapeutically journal out a relationship where ingratitude, our sense of fear that we are not going to have enough has ruined a human relationship. So what's the solution? What would Jesus have to say to us? 
I'm so glad you asked. That's the next point on the outline. Um, in Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21, this is what Jesus said. So Peter approaches Jesus. He asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, Jesus says, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So here Jesus launches into a silly story that is going to be a mirror to the human heart. So he talks about this king. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, there was one who owed him 10,000 talents. I'm going to give you a minute to pull your jaw up off the floor because 10,000 talents is an insane amount of money. One talent in their day was the equivalent to 20 years worth of wages. That's a career, right? Like I have not stayed in any job for 20 years. And so he's got, that's one talent. So we've got 10,000 times 20 years worth of wages. And this is something, maybe if you grew up with this story, or you grew up in Sunday school, I might invite us, can you see the humor of what Jesus is doing here? Can you see that this is satire? Like if we were to cast this as a movie, I might put Will Ferrell in here somewhere. Because some of this is ridiculous. So the king, he, he has this servant who owes him so much money, and obviously, duh, he did not have the money to pay it back. So his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt, which is standard operating procedure for ancient debt court, and I'm very glad that we've changed how that works. In verse 26, he says, At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Now, I don't know what the servant's plan is to get all that money, because he hasn't come up with it yet. But he's just kind of begging for this master. He's like, just anything. I just need a day. I just need something to change this. He says, be patient with me. I will pay you back everything. Then the master of that servant, he had compassion. And if we can be Greek nerds together for a minute, that word is about a visceral, emotional reaction in the gut. He looks out at this servant, and he is moved with compassion. And he says, I can't let this stand. I'm going to do something about it. And so he releases him. He forgives him. And there's two different words here for forgiveness, just to emphasize how much forgiveness is happening. He's going to cut him loose of these bonds. He's going to set him free. So then the servant does the most logical thing right after this, and he goes out in the marketplace, and that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, right? So that is a hundred days' worth of wages, which is significantly less than 10,000 times 20 years, right? And he goes to this guy and does a very normal reaction. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay me what you owe. That's ridiculous, right? This is nuts. He finds that one guy who just owes him a little bit and just like grabs a hold of him, starts choking him. And so the servant who owes him the little bit, he begins begging. And maybe you've heard this phrase before. He says, be patient with me. I will pay you back. 
The guy who owes him just 100 days worth of stuff, he says exactly the same phrase that came out of this guy's mouth just a couple verses earlier. And this guy, his heart is hard. It says he wasn't willing. And unlike the king, he's not moved with compassion. He has a hard heart. And he's unwilling, so he throws this other servant into prison until he could pay back what he owes. So then the other servants who see this, there's a lot of servants going on in the story, they were deeply distressed. They went and reported to the king what had happened. And as you would think, right, the king hauls this other servant back in. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Shouldn't you extend that same sense of grace and forgiveness to this other person that has wronged you at such a smaller level? And you guys realize we're not talking about servants and money here, right? We're talking about human relationships. How can we, in a sense of gratitude and understanding that God has showed up for us in so many different ways, how can we hold on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness? And it's interesting because I'm, I'm asking us that question, right? Like we put a cross on the back wall because we believe God forgives. We put a cross on our logo because we believe that God forgives. And me as a pastor who's like praying through and studying this passage, I believe that God forgives, but do you know what happens when someone crosses me? My heart can lock up. It's like I want to let go. It's almost, I feel like it's like my heart, my hands, like whatever's holding onto this has cramped up. I'm like, I want to let it go. I want to move past this, but for some reason, it's just sticking in my soul. And maybe you've been there. You're like, I know what the right decision is. I know that I believe in Jesus, and I need to let this go. But I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I, it's an old phrase, but I think it's just so true. That unforgiveness, when we hold on to bitterness, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Because who are we hurting? I, I get really disturbed by this next verse, right? So the, the king says, show mercy. And then, because the king is angry, he hands the servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Now, that's disturbing to me because that sounds like a terrible situation. And, and so I had to, once again, go Greek nerd on this. And what it is, is that there's these very specific kinds of jailers that are the really not cool, like, jailers you don't want to meet in a dark alley because they're nasty. And that's the word Jesus uses for this. And I wonder, how many times have I turned myself over by holding on to unforgiveness, by not letting go of something? How many times have I put myself in the prison? Like, they, the other person has, like, no idea that I'm even bent out of shape about this. But it's messing with me. And who's really being hurt in that situation? I'm just hurting myself. And so this is a strong word that Jesus would have to say. Verse 35, he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to you, unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. And as I think about my heart, I think about Tupperware containers. Because... I eat my lunch out of Tupperware containers 
that I carry my lunch to work with me. And then I have a habit, um, because I'm a little bit of a forgetful person, when I am done eating my lunch, I take the dirty Tupperware container to my car and put it in the front seat so that I can remember when I get home, I'm gonna pull this out and put it in the kitchen sink so then it'll get washed off. But sometimes that Tupperware container might get knocked into the back seat or it might get knocked somewhere else and I don't know, maybe I might find it a couple months later. And when I found this thing, I could have sold it to a scientist because there was all kinds of culture like growing in this thing. I don't know, maybe there was some penicillin in there or whatnot, but it was a forest and it was disgusting. And as I think about the Tupperware containers, and you guys are like, why is he talking about Tupperware containers? I'm going somewhere, trust me. So as I think about my heart, when I can take the ickiness, when I can bring the junk right into the kitchen and just like wash it away, just let it flow through, get some water in there, clean everything out, then we're in a really good situation. But what happens when I hold on and I let it fester and I let it grow and I let it rot? Like I end up with something disgusting in the middle of my heart. And I wonder if this silly story is a mirror that Jesus is inviting us to let go, to release, and out of a sense of gratitude, not just because we're gonna say, hey, you ought to, you have to. Don't you know you're a terrible person if you, but because of a sense of gratitude that says, my God loves me, has forgiven me. My dad can always buy me more French fries, right? I'm willing to share. And so in Ephesians, this is how Paul would say to the church, he says, therefore, be kind and compassionate. Be moved like that king with compassion and the visceral emotional reaction for one another and forgive because God in Christ forgave you. And when we do that, like it is hard. And there's a, there's a song where he says that um, forgiving feels like losing sometimes. It's like, I don't want to let go of the upper hand. It can just feel like I'm giving away my right but when we can forgive and extend grace in our relationships, we are living the core story that God put in the universe. We are living the deepest truth, which is what I would call the gospel. The fact that humans have messed this thing up and that God didn't give up on us. And then that comes out in our lives as testimony. As we forgive, as we deal with the bumps and the bruises, as we navigate the world, that's our witness that we believe that this cross thing is true. That's our statement of resurrection. Is we're like, I'm okay with letting the icky parts of me die so that something new can rise. And so we don't have to hold on to it because how we treat God is manifest in how we treat others. That's a foundational thing in the Bible. Okay, so in the ancient world, when you would worship a deity, you had statues, right? You, you all know this, like you've seen the National Geographic, the Zeus, and the everything's all over. So when one of the Roman generals invaded the temple in Israel, God had said, do not build an image of me. Do not build this idol, do not build this image. But rather what God said in the book of Genesis is that when he made people, look to your right, look to your left, when he made people, he put his image inside of them. 
And so when the Roman general stormed into the temple in Jerusalem, he looked around and said, these guys must be atheists because there are no images anywhere. Because what God said is that the way you treat others is how you treat me. The thing that I want you to show honor to, the, way, the place where my image lives, is that neighbor right across the street from you. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says that whatever you did for the least of these, the poor, the powerless, the people who are downtrodden, when you do something for them, it's like you're doing it for me. And so because I believe this, how do we move forwards? How do we move forwards in life? Well, I think that we need to move from a sense of entitlement to a sense of humility. We need to move from a sense of entitlement to a sense of humility. Entitlement says, I deserve, fill in the blank, I deserve this. Entitlement says, if you don't give me this, then you're robbing me. And here's what I think is really interesting, okay? I see on the internet many people who are from an older generation saying, you know what's wrong with the younger generation? They're entitled. And I see a lot of people from a younger generation talking about an older generation and saying, you know what their problem is? They're entitled. And so I wonder if maybe there's a human problem, right? Where regardless of what's going on, like humans, we just feel entitled. And we have these unmet expectations. And it's so funny how quickly it can start. I was taking a couch to H2O to donate my couch. And I showed up and they said, we cannot take this. This couch is not good enough. And I was like, well, that's OK. They normally have like a dump fee. They can get rid of it. They're like, our truck is broken. We cannot take your couch. I know. And I'm like, I'm doing this in the rain. Like, this is so hard. And I just felt that entitlement like rise up inside of me. And I'm sure you guys have never been there, too. So just, you know, we'll let, there, we'll let that stand. But, but I think about humility. Humility says, instead of I deserve, humility says I'm grateful for. I am grateful for what I have. I am grateful for the life that God has given me. I am grateful for the struggles in the middle of it. I've been working on, um, there's an ancient practice that Christians have used called the welcoming prayer where you start your morning and you open your heart and welcome whatever it is that God would send your way. You welcome whatever, like the good, the bad, like I'm just going to put my heart in a stance. Now, one of the men who attended this church for a really long time and would never have said, I'm going to practice an ancient Christian mystic practice, but who did this really well was Daryl McCaw. Daryl McCaw started every day saying, okay, Lord, what do you got for me? And without even, you know, maybe doing some of the, the nerdy book work that I have to do to get somewhere, he just knew, just opening the heart to say, God, whatever you would have for me. As I think about humility, one of my heroes of humility in the Bible is the son of King Saul, and his name is Jonathan. And if you think about, so King Saul was like, I'm going to throw a spear at David. We're going to kill him because I don't want to release my power. Jonathan, who was the heir to the throne, who was the runner-up, what he did is he saw the writing on the wall. He saw how God had anointed David's life. And so Jonathan said, I'm going to step back and do whatever it takes to make David successful. I'm going to step back and push someone else forwards. And I think that's humility. I think that's a self-confidence. 
It's not like, a, oh, I'm such a worm. You know, I wouldn't deserve anything. There's a sense of gratitude that just says, I know who I am. I know my worth. I know who God made me to be. And so I can step back and let someone else have the stage. I can step back and put someone else forwards. And then also we need to move from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. Scarcity is marked by fear and it sees what other people have as a threat. If someone else gets that promotion, well, I don't have it, so that's a threat. If someone else gets that product or they have a raise or a good thing in their life, well, that means I'm not getting what I need. And the biggest way that I've ever seen this play out in my life is toilet paper in 2020. I cannot believe that as a pastor, like my first conversation for three months on the phone with everyone was like, hello, do you have enough toilet paper? Like I was running like a toilet paper ministry, I guess, because I was like, do you have the toilet paper? Because we were so scared. We were like, God is not going to provide for our, like it just, oh my goodness. And we all got so scared, we had to snatch it up. And I wonder, like, what if we had had the mentality of, like, there is enough to go around? Like, that's where a toilet paper ministry care for. Ben, we took donations of toilet paper that we then shared with people. And that's silly, but have you done that? Right? That's silly, but don't we do that? To move to an abundance mindset that is marked by generosity because we just know my dad can always buy me more french fries, right? My God can always provide for me. What I have right now comes from him. And I even think, okay, so Dallas Willard um, has a really famous saying where he says the number one thing for human growth, like sanctification to be a holy person, is the ruthless elimination of hurry. For him, it was like a hurried life is where all of the problems come from. And as much as I would like to argue with that, because I love to have a productive day with my you know, to-do list getting checked off, it's true. It's true because hurry is a scarcity mindset with our time. Did you know God gave you 24 hours today? Just like he gave me. God has generously provided for all of us. And so I wonder if we could take a minute and stop and be generous with our attention and our time, our priorities, and our energy. Ultimately, we talked about how gratitude leads us to a place of worship in our soul. I think gratitude leads us to a place of graciousness in our relationships. And I think that's where I'd like to, to end the plane, land the plane today as we wrap this up. On Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, as you go and live your life, because this is the pep rally, people, right? Church isn't where it all happens right now. We are going to be sent by God to different mission fields where he has called us to be his people. And I would just challenge us all on Wednesday when someone cuts you off in traffic, on Wednesday when something happens, to extend grace, to put that forwards. I got one more story about a restaurant. There was this guy named Bobby Herrera who is what some people have called the best CEO you've never heard of. Because he did write a book, but he's not necessarily like super famous or all over everywhere, but he spent a lot of time in the military and then has spent a lot of time in the business world. And he has a reputation for caring for everyone around him, of being super generous and, and looking out for his team. 
And for him, it all goes back to one moment. He says, the reason I am the man I am today is because of this one moment from my childhood. So he was in a very poor family when they grew up, and it was everything his parents could do to just get enough money to get the boys on the basketball team, just to pay for uniforms and fees and all that. And so he's, riding, he's on the basketball team with his brother. They're riding around, and they stop at a restaurant at the end of the game. And all the other kids have spending money in their pocket, and they get off the bus, they go into the restaurant to go get their meal. And Bobby and his brother, they don't have anything. Their, their mom loves them and packed stuff for them, right? But you've been that kid, right, that's got the packed lunch. And you're like, I want to go have a hamburger with my friends. Like, and so he's in the back of the bus. He feels like a second-class citizen. He feels humiliated. And his coach walks to the back of the bus and says, boys, dinner's on me. Let's go. And he takes those boys. They go in. They sit down with the team. And when the bill comes, right, he swipes his card. He pays for it. And that moment is just that pivotal moment where Bobby said, I want to be that guy because he provided for me. I want to be that guy who shows up for other people. And so I wonder, like, if God has showed up for us, right, maybe we can share our French fries. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We invite you to make a difference in our lives this week. God, we invite you to help us to be gracious God, we invite you to move us to grow in gratitude. And we just ask you, Jesus, that you would show us the many ways that you have provided for us and help us be people who extend grace because we've received it. In your name, Jesus, amen.